Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. I wanted to get into this whole mass shooting thing. Of course, after the shooting in Boulder, Colorado, day before yesterday, and then you know a few days before that in Georgia, there has been a renewed push to do something about gun violence in America. But it's still, I mean, you know, you still had Ted Cruz basically filibustering this on the floor of the Senate. You had John Kennedy, the uh, congressman from Louisiana, talking about drunk drivers. I mean, literally, he was like, well, we got drunk driving as a problem, too. Why don't we do something about that? Well, John, actually, we did. We uh, we require people to get a driver's license so that their car, you know, they know how to run their car. We don't require people to get a shooter's license. We require people to have liability insurance for their car. We don't require shooters, you know, gun owners to have liability insurance. We require cars to have seat belts. We don't require guns to have safety locks. I mean, you know even the Republican arguments like like Senator Kennedy's argument like, uh, well, you know, drunk driving problem, just is devolved, disintegrate into BS. Here's what I think needs to be done. And I'm just going to lay this out. If you want the links and the deep dive and the background information and the links to anything I'm saying here, they're all over at HartmanReport.com which is essentially this. Back in 1955, down in Mississippi, a young black man named Emmett Till was visiting from Chicago, which is where he lived. A white woman claimed that he whistled at her. Her husband and his brother, as I recall, maybe his cousin, kidnapped Emmett Till, uh, took him out, beat him brutally, tied him to a 50-pound cotton gin fan after they had made him drag it up to the river. And then after they beat him to death, turned his face into pulp, threw his broken body into the river where it was later retrieved. His mother, Mammy Bradley, made an extraordinarily courageous decision when his body was brought back to Chicago and said, we're going to have an open casket funeral. I want people to see 
what they did to my, my child, to my baby. Jet Magazine sent a photographer who took a picture of Emma Till in his casket. That picture went viral, particularly across black America, for lack of a better phrase, uh, across the black community in the United States. But it also broke into the white mainstream bag. I mean, keep in mind, this is 1955. There were literally no black people on television except as criminals. But it not only invigorated the civil rights movement and does to this day, it's a, you know, that coffin, you know, Emmett Till is buried, but the original coffin is now a centerpiece at the Museum of African American History in Washington, D.C., which is just, by the way, once you've got your COVID vaccines, you need to get there and check this thing out. It's extraordinary. And our friend Joe Madison from SiriusXM Urban View, I think it's channel 129, every morning from 6 to 10 a.m., helped raise that money to make that thing happen, among others. I mean, there's, there's a lot of you know, great people who worked on that. But anyhow, those pictures or that picture made real for many Americans the horrors of white violence against black people, which have been going on forever in this country. But, you know, the old saying, a picture tells a thousand words. There's such a reality to this. You'd think in America, after seven shootings and seven mass shootings in the last seven days, that America would have some sense of what this means. I mean, we've all heard the words Newtown and Stoneman Douglas and Las Vegas, and we know intellectually what that means. But have you ever seen a picture of a pile of bodies that have been ripped apart, their heads exploded by 223 caliber bullets? I mean, there's a reason why this guy shot 10 people and they're all dead. No survivors. No wounded. These are weapons of war. But in any case, back to my question, have you seen the pictures? No, of course not. Because the American media doesn't show those kinds of pictures. And there's some good reasons for that. But back in the 1980s, the anti-abortion movement made the decision, in, in part egged on by the Reagan, by partisans in the Reagan administration, to start carrying around posters that showed bloody aborted fetuses. It turned out actually some of those pictures were actually pictures of stillbirths, miscarriages, or you know medical crises that mothers had had. But it didn't matter. They were bloody pictures, and they're using those to this day. But what happened when they started using those in the 80s was that by the 90s, even people who were in favor of a woman having the right to choose an abortion, like Bill Clinton, were saying, well, yeah, abortion, yeah, they should be legal, safe, and rare. If you talk to people in the abortion rights movement, they will tell you that when they started using that picture, that was the moment when, quote, abortion became real for Americans. Think about that picture back in 1972 of Phan Thi Kim Phuc. She's referred to as Napalm Girl. She was nine years old, running down the street with a bunch of other little kids in, in rural Vietnam, having ripped the clothes off her back because they were on fire from napalm. That picture in 1972 helped turn the tide completely. I mean, even the, even the hardcore right-wing Republican pro-war bunch, after that picture went around the world and won the Pulitzer Prize, that was the point at which the Vietnam War was really and truly ended. 
I mean, the, the actual end came two years ago when Jerry Ford ended it. But, but the, you know, there you go. Now, there are some. So I think that, you know, we should be showing at least a picture of the violence of these shooters. Now, there are very, this is going to be a very controversial thing, and there are really legitimate reasons to not sensationalize violence, to not satisfy morbid curiosity, and concerns about warping young people's minds or triggering PTSD for people who are survivors of violence, and yet pictures show reality in a way that words can't do. You know, our, our mass shootings in the United States were kicked off in 1966 with Charles Whitman. That was August 1st, 66. And then, you, and then we had a string of killings that happened during the Reagan-Bush administration, 84, San Ysidro McDonald's, Edmond, Oklahoma Post Office in 86, the Luby's Cafeteria in 91 in Kyleen, Texas. I mean, we used, I, I can tell you, you know, I, I worked in advertising for years. I used to teach advertising and marketing through the American Marketing Centers. The NRA's biggest fear is that these pictures start showing up. That's their biggest nightmare. And we did this with tobacco. We showed pictures of, of people who half their jaw had been eaten away. We showed those pictures in the 90s. And it changed public opinion. Mothers Against Drunk Driving. I don't know if that group specifically, but we did this with drunk driving. We showed, you know, not necessarily the bodies, but the bloodied remains of mashed up cars. Now, this isn't something that we should just throw up on, on some website or in some newspaper. Major American journalism groups, print, television, web-based stuff, they need to get together and decide which pictures to publish and how to publish them in a way that maximizes their impact while minimizing the probability that they will produce trauma or tr trigger PTSD in other people. This has to be done carefully. But I don't know if you saw Joe Biden yesterday. He has seen the pictures. And he was choking back his words when he was talking about these people. How do we do this? Can we even do it? Omar in Herndon, Virginia. Hey, Omar, what's on your mind today? The Honorable Tom, Prophet, Truth, Justice, Democracy, and the American Way. Good day to you, sir. I to the last point, my only concern, and you touched on a little bit, is, is traumatizing the country. What I think we need to do, everything to be put on hold right now, we control the House and the Senate until we get a gun legislation through. The NRA right now, with the uh, situation with Russia and how they were infiltrated, they are on their knees. So if we need to ever take them out, is right now. We need to have a huge campaign to tackle guns and address guns. And Joe Manchin, he needs to decide what side is he on, you know? And I think Schumer needs to yeah. make a decision about him because he's not continue holding us hostage, you know? He's not a Democrat. He's not a Democrat at all. And we need to have a bill right now to deal with these gun situation. Put every day on hold. We there are two bills before the Senate right now that Schumer came out yesterday and said need to be passed. One closes the gun show loophole. The other closes what's referred to yep. as the Charleston loophole. Both would make it harder for people to buy guns except through licensed dealers or if they are buying guns, they'd have to go through a background check and there would be some reasonable accounting. This is like bare minimum. When Joe Biden said, you know, these two bills are before the Senate, we need to do something. He added, and we have to get assault weapons off the streets. And like I said, I'm going to rant about that a little bit more in just a moment. But you said that we don't want to further traumatize America. We've got 32,000 Americans a year being killed by guns. 
How is that not a, I mean, you always do things based on a risk benefit analysis, right? How is the benefit of reducing that 32,000 gun homicide down to something like, you know, a few hundred a year, like in Australia, how is that benefit not outweighed by the risk of triggering or traumatizing people by showing them real pictures of what really happens? I mean, I agree with you that we can do that. Right now, we can try anything if possible, but it's just that some people can't handle certain things. You know, some people can ha- handle looking at death. Some people cannot handle it. So I, I right. just think it, it would have to be done in a thoughtful, yes. deliberate way. And it would have. And, and this is why I'm calling on, you know, the big television networks, the print, you know, at least the Washington Post and the New York Times, you know, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, uh, ABC, NBC, uh, CBS. And, you know, maybe Huffington Post or Daily Beast or some of the major websites that they convene basically a group, a panel of experts or, or leaders within those organizations who can look through some of the photos that are out there. I mean, they are out there. They're just really hard to find. But, you know, if you search for them, you can find them and pick a couple of pictures. And then, you know, they're going to have to get the support of the parents involved or the people, the spouses involved. They're going to have to do this all legally and appropriately. And then they show them in ways where, you know, trigger warning in the next, you know, 20 seconds from now, I'm going to show a picture on the screen. If you don't want to see this, okay. turn your head away or get your kids mm-hmm. out of the room. And that's how it has to be done. Yep. Well, I mean, I agree with you. Whatever is next, what's going to do? Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Omar. It's great to hear from you. I want to finish my rant and then pick up your thoughts on this. It is controversial. There are a lot of people, well, not just a lot of people. It's a virtually unanimous opinion across the media, not just in the United States, that you don't show pictures of bodies coming back, you know, outside the coffins. You don't show pictures of bodies of people wounded in war. You don't show pictures of dead people. I think we need to break the rule. So just to finish up my rant here, number one, as I said, I I really think that, you know, the New York Times, the Washington Post, uh, representing print media, maybe the L.A. Times, the uh, Huffington Post or the Daily Beast or, you know, some of the major uh, exclusively online websites, The Hill, uh, Politico, uh, and then the television networks, ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, uh, CNN and MSNBC. Each one of these organizations, I doubt Fox would participate, but what the hell. Um, Each one of these organizations needs to send a representative to some sort of a meeting that they need to have immediately, like, you know, today or tomorrow. You can do it on Zoom, right? It's not a big deal. You send out a Zoom link to everybody and and you can have your meeting in, in four hours. And they need to go through the pictures. These pictures are not unavailable. I mean, you can search for them on the web and, and occasionally find them. Generally speaking, they're not there, but, but they are, you know, and they're certainly available on the, on the dark web. Pictures of, of uh, you know, I mean, in Newtown, the story came out. Some of the pictures were available for a short while. The story came out that some of those children, um, that, that guy had shot that AR-15 into these crowds of children. And there was literally a pile of bodies where some of the children's heads were so badly exploded, you couldn't make out who they were. They had to identify some of those children using DNA. So get together and look over the pictures and say, okay, here's the one we're going to use. 
This is going to become Napalm Girl. This is going to become Emmett Till. This is going to be the picture that galvanizes a movement and wakes America the hell up to what's actually the result of all of this Republican obstruction and all the millions of dollars the NRA and the gun manufacturers have spent over the years buying politicians, whether they be Republicans or whether they be Democrats like Joe Manchin. You just lay it out. Have them get together. And of course, there also has to be a Mammy Bradley. right? There has to be a, a, uh, a parent or a spouse, you know, somebody related to the people in the pictures who says, yes, this is okay with me. I mean, do it all right. Do it legally. Do it ethically. Back in 1996, there was this horrific shooting in Tasmania, Australia. Just a week before that, the Australian Parliament had had a debate about gun control because there had been a couple of dozen mass shootings in Australia over the past 20 years, over the previous 20 years. They were having mass shootings on a regular basis. Every year there were, there were one or two mass shootings in Australia for decades. Their, their problem, our problem started really in a big way in the 80s. Theirs really started in the early 90s or in the mid 80s. It became a thing especially in the English-speaking world. Didn't happen in England because guns are largely banned in England, but the United States and Australia, yeah. And so in August of 1996, this, this gunman walked into this, uh, uh, well, it was a, not just the cafe that he walked into, the, there was this whole open area in Tasmania that uh, you know, was a huge tourist area. And he walked in there with an AR-15 and just unloaded, killed, as I recall, 35 people. Now, the Australian press didn't, published the photos like, oh my God, shocking picture. Here's the picture of dead people. But they came awful close and the pictures were widely available in Australia and the non-top of the line press did publish the pictures. And the result of that was that within nine months, Australia passed really comprehensive gun control laws. It's still entirely, it's still easy to buy a gun in Australia. If it's a revolver or a shotgun or uh, you know, a, 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 a bolt action rifle. But semi-automatic weapons have been completely outlawed unless you're law enforcement or you have a, a reason for one. And they, and they, and they bought back 700,000 weapons they took out of circulation in the, what is it, 24 years since then? Australia has had two mass shootings. In the one year after Australia did this, firearms-related deaths fell in Australia by 40% and suicides dropped by 77% because the most common thing that a gun is used for in a home is committing suicide. And it's an impulsive act, and you take the guns out, and people ha have to think twice. They don't, they don't commit suicide. So 1996 was the Emmett Till moment for Australia. 1972 here in the United States with Napalm Girl was our second Emmett Till moment. And I think we need a third one. I really think America needs to see what these weapons do. And it needs to be done thoughtfully. It needs to be done carefully. It needs to be done with all kinds of trigger warnings. We're going to show a picture on the screen. If you don't want to see this, you don't want your kids to see it, it's going to come up in, in 30 seconds. Get out of the room right now. 
We have to do it in a way that is thoughtful and responsible. But Americans have to understand. Mothers Against Drunk Driving, it, like I said, you know, we did this with tobacco. We did this with drunk driving. It worked in both cases. We didn't do it intentionally with the Vietnam War, but it happened and it worked. And, and God bless Emma Till's parents. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Barack Obama saw the pictures. He broke into tears on national television. Joe Biden saw the pictures. He broke into tears on national television. Americans need to see the pictures. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is The Hidden History of Guns and the Second Amendment by yours truly. This is from Chapter 1, The Unholy Alliance of Racism, Genocide, and Guns. In Isaiah 14.21, the Lord tells Isaiah, Prepare for his sons a place of slaughter because of the iniquity of their fathers. It's a variation on the old story of karma and seems in a very real way to be playing out today in the United States. America is facing an epidemic. Public health officials use that word of gun-related suicides, accidents, and even homicides and police killings. That epidemic has grown worse in the past decade, largely because the number of guns in America has increased, in large part because of the racial fears of white men who have bought guns in record numbers for eight years during the time in office of America's first black president. A landmark 1999 study from researchers Franklin Zimmering and Gordon Hawkins showed that the main correlation, far surpassing mental illness, socioeconomic status, or race, that could be defined as causal in predicting the rates of gun deaths is a simple number, the number of guns distributed among society. In the 30 years since that study, Zimmering and Hawkins' results have been replicated and reanalyzed dozens of times. As the American Academy of Pediatrics said in a release published in AAAS's Science Magazine, quote, new research shows dramatic differences in the number of children hospitalized and killed each year in the U.S. from firearm-related injuries based on their state's gun legislation, even after adjusting for poverty, unemployment, and education rates. It found twice as many pediatric firearm deaths in states with the most lenient gun regulations compared to states where gun laws are strictest, end quote. They added that this is a critical issue for children, quoting Stephanie Cho, M.D., the lead author of the abstract, quote, 
Firearm-related injuries are the second leading cause of death among children in the United States. But we found a clear discrepancy in where those deaths happen that corresponds with the strengths of states' firearm legislation. In states with lenient laws, children die at alarmingly greater rates, end quote. And unsurprisingly, America not only has unusually lenient gun laws, but also has more guns in civilian hands than any other country in the world. America has a bit more than 4% of the world's population, but holds almost 50% of all the guns in civilian hands worldwide, more than 390 million guns. And the more guns a society has, the more gun deaths it will experience. The NRA and their army of lobbyists have been quite successful in making this happen. During Obama's presidency, there was a steady and hysterical drumbeat of articles, emails, and political proclamations by so-called pro-gun politicians and think tanks, suggesting that Obama was preparing to take away everyone's guns at, at any minute. There was even a subtext embraced by the hard right that he wasn't going to stop there. After disarming white Americans, these folks said, Obama was going to intern them in otherwise unused FEMA camps. Flipped-out gun owners were repeatedly arrested during the Obama years, trying to break into retired or temporarily vacant military facilities and toxic waste sites, looking for evidence to prove that Obama was, in fact, preparing the modern-day version of the World War II-era Japanese internment camps. White supremacy was the founding notion of this nation. White Europeans thought themselves so superior to the human beings they met here in 1492 that Columbus himself became the first North American slaver, shipping Taino Indians back to Spain as slaves to the royal family. A slave is as good as gold, Columbus wrote for the king and queen. Europeans in the Americas then stepped up that game into a hemisphere-wide campaign of racial genocide, pulling off the largest multi-generational mass murder in the history of the world. In the midst of that effort, they also created the legal mechanisms necessary to define and legally regulate slavery, and even built those systems into America's founding document, the Constitution. America was birthed in slavery and genocide, and both needed guns. It was the superior weaponry of guns that gave the European settlers a massive advantage over the bow and arrow equipped Native Americans, and it was the raw power of widespread white ownership of guns in the South that propped up the institution of slavery for hundreds of years. Without guns, neither would have been possible, or at least neither would have been as easy as they were to pull off. And now, after centuries of guns being used to kill off and keep down people of color in America, those same guns are creating a terrifying epidemic of gun-facilitated violence from public schools to private homes and public concerts. It's enough to make one think that Isaiah was onto something. Chapter 2, The Sanitized History of America. The United States' expansion and conquest in the late 18th century through the 19th century and into the 20th century is a history written by white men, inked in the blood of Native Americans, and built on the broken and bloody backs of enslaved people brought here from Africa. From 1791, when the Bill of Rights went into effect, until the end of the Civil War, the Second Amendment protected the rights only of white men to own guns. This is simply because until the ratification of the 14th Amendment, states determined who was recognized as a person protected under the Constitution. Initially, in most states, that meant that white men who owned land and paid taxes were the only people considered full citizens under the Constitution. In the South, white men with guns formed slave patrols to control slaves and formed posses to hunt escaped slaves. The book, The Hidden History of Guns in the Second Amendment. 
Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Dave in Cincinnati, Ohio. Your thoughts today, Dave? Yes, Tom. Uh, I totally agree with what you're saying. There's two things that just drove me crazy. I would scream at the TV. And one was during Columbine. They, they tended to constantly show the two gentlemen, and they should have vilified them. They should have called them cowards or losers or despicable. And the other thing was during Sandy Hook, every one of them senators should have had a scene. It was, it didn't have to be bullied, but every one of them senators should have had to seen all the crime f- film before they voted. And then with the permission of the children's parents, then it should have been viewed to the public and, and let the rest of the world Whoa. understand why we were so serious, why we we think this is insane to have a a military weapon in the hands of anybody. Dave, that is brilliant. I mean, you know, uh, maybe a member of Congress could introduce a a law or a resolution or a House rule. I don't know how it would have to be done. And you'd want it in the Senate as well. That says that any time Congress has any deliberations whatsoever on gun control of any sort, every member of Congress must have delivered to them the photos of the victims at the, at the crime scene, at the time of the death. Not, not them, you know, in their coffins all made up. Um, but uh, the, the photos of the victims should have delivered to them and they must see those photos. Or those photos must be shown, not necessarily in open session, but they must be shown if they, because that's really the, you know, we're, we're talking about gun control as if we're talking about guns. We're talking about gun control as if we're talking about freedom. We're talking about gun control as if we're talking about the Second Amendment or some legal thing. What we're really talking about here is over 30,000 Americans who die because of guns. And we're talking about dead Americans. And yet the dead Americans never come into the equation. They're never shown. They're never seen. Congress doesn't see them. Uh, only Democrats will even talk about them. Um, Dave, I think that's brilliant. And, and uh, yeah, I, you know, it's, I, it's just absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much for the call. I appreciate it. Chauncey in Brooklyn, New York. Hey, Chauncey, what's up? Hello, Tom. Just clearing up a conversation that you had with a call at the beginning of your show yesterday. The difference between Australia and America is our sense of responsibility. We have a, we have a mental hygiene issue with the collective population. It's, it has everything to do with narcissism and, how, and the way we treat each other and responsibility with the politicians, they actually passed those laws in Australia, but they have yet to pass these laws over here. So it's an underlying narrative. You're talking about having people exposed to the damage of these weapons, when in actuality, our entertainment construct, it does expose people, but through entertainment, through these violent shows and other sources of entertainment media. So it's an underlying toxic narrative of exposure. So people are actually being exposed to these things, but in an encouraging, toxic way through entertainment. Now, speaking of Caliban, that has something to do with narcissism. These, these, those kids, they were teased, they were ostracized, and they were made fun of, and they were basically excommunicated. So that isolates people and boils up their internal resentment where they have no way to vent it. So they seek out these alternative means of venting their energy, which can become very destructive, as we saw. I'm just clearing this up because 
The laws need yeah. to be passed. They passed them in Australia, but they're not passing them I, over I'm here. with you, Chauncey, so although, although I think that anytime we start talking about them. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally get it. But I think that anytime we start talking about, oh, you know, this shooter, you know, like the shooter in Colorado yesterday or the day before yesterday, I guess it was now, was uh, fairly clearly a paranoid schizophrenic. Obviously, the vast majority of paranoid schizophrenics, a lot of them are, on, are homeless, actually. And not a lot of paranoid schizophrenics, but, you know, a, a substantial a larger portion of the homeless population than the normal population are in that category. But they're not violent. They're not people who are killing people. It's, you know, mental illness is not the issue here. And being bullied, yes, you know, the guys in Columbine were being bullied, but that's not the issue here either. If they had not had access to guns in either case, the, the, the paranoid schizophrenic or the bullied people, the outcome would have been radically different. And, and, and that's the point that I'm making. And, and to your point, Chauncey, and I think you brilliantly pointed this out, you know, they passed those laws in Australia. And the thing that I forgot to add in my article, and I'm gonna edit it at the top of the hour, which is one of the really cool things about publishing, you know, basically on my own site over at uh, hartmanreport.com is that I can add things to my articles as the day goes on and update them, is that the administration in Australia, the prime minister at the time in 1996 when these laws were passed was John Howard. John Howard was a Ronald Reagan conservative. He was as right wing as you could get. He was a crazy conservative and he could, you know, put his finger to the wind and see which way the wind was blowing politically. He knew that this was an issue that if he fought against it, he would lose on because people had seen the damn pictures. They knew what was going on. Chauncey, thank you. That, that was great. Uh, Amento in Los Angeles County. Hey, Amento, what's up? Okay, yeah, I was wondering if you knew the statistics of uh, what percentage of the mass shooters were on psychotropics. That's a damn good question. We know that the, you know, the column, at least one of the Columbine shooters was, it wasn't, you know, just generic psychotropics. These were specifically uh, SSRI drugs, the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, things like Prozac. There have been books written about this. We have had guests, psychiatrists on this program who have talked about this. By and large, HIPAA laws prevent, in this day and age now, prevent the statistics from coming out. It does appear that people are more likely to commit suicide and homicide when they take these drugs than when they don't take the drugs, although on the one hand, but that's a very small slice of the people who take the drugs. On the other hand, for some people, these drugs are lifesavers. So you have to balance those two things. But again, just like my conversation with Chauncey about you know, people being bullied or people being you know, paranoid schizophrenics, people on SSRI drugs are not going to grab a gun and go out and commit mass murder if the guns are not available. So, you know, I think your point is well taken and it's something that we need to be looking more at. And, and the association with suicide is a huge one event, though, and that's, one that, and that's why now these drugs have warnings on their labels. If you have suicidal ideation, in other words, if you imagine or think about suicide when you're taking this drug, stop taking the drug and call your doctor immediately. Because, you know, they're known to do that. And a lot of shooters are actually committing suicide they kill at the end they kill themselves or they hope to kill themselves you know they hope to die by cop as it were uh, and go out in a blaze of glory and this is how they're doing it right so you know but again all of that is motive motive is irrelevant because if these people were forced to try to do the same thing with an axe or a knife instead of killing 50 people in in three seconds they might kill one person and it might take them three or four minutes steve in Simi valley california hey steve what's up Hi, Tom. Uh, just to expand a little bit on what we're talking about, Emmett Till, his father 
was uh, uh, in the military in World War II. He was a soldier in Italy. And his father, in fact, was hung uh, for raping and murdering a, a white woman. And during the whole thing about the Emmett thing, when there were hearings going on, Senator Bethel of uh, Mississippi brought that up and basically said the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So that did not do oh the civil rights. Yeah. So I just wanted to share that with you. Yeah. Steve, I didn't know that part of the story. And I, you know, I, I thought I was pretty familiar with the Emmett Till story, but it doesn't surprise me. I mean, these Southern, particularly back in the day, but even today, I mean, look at what John Kennedy was saying, the senator from Mississippi or Terrible. is it Louisiana, whichever. Louisiana. Yeah. Louisiana. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. They will do anything to keep from uh, pointing the finger at white people who are committing these, you know, this violence or white supremacy, which is at the base of so much of it, or at, at going up. They will uh, do anything to avoid going up against the gun industry that is pouring millions of dollars into their campaigns, whether directly or indirectly through third third party ad buys. Um, which again is something that HR one, the For the People Act, at le- you know it, it doesn't outlaw those kind of ad buys, but it says that we have a right to know who's paying for them, and uh, you know, <laughs> we need to do that. Steve, thank you for for filling in the picture of history for us. I, I do appreciate it. Is it time for America to have its Emmett Till moment? Is it time for us rationally, thoughtfully, carefully? to show America what these weapons actually do. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. So far, nobody has called and said, no, you don't want to do that. That's interesting. I wonder what public opinion, I wonder what a poll would say. Mike in uh, Lameda, California, listening on KPFK. Hey, Mike, what's up? Hey, Tom. Uh, you know, this uh, talk about the shootings lately has uh, turned as it inevitably does to that claim that the Second Amendment exists so that uh, individual citizens can uh, rebel against a tyrannical government. Now, I know the uh, words of the actual framers of the Constitution can be used to cite their intent, which is not along those lines. But their intent be hanged, I think we should look at the results of what's actually happened. In 1884, Robert Riel's uh, little uh, rebellion against the Canadian government ended in him being hanged as a traitor. Uh, The Chase's Rebellion in 1786-7, the uh, rebels were besieging or protesting or whatever they are doing at a Springfield armory, and before the Army of Massachusetts even showed up, the defenders fired a cannon into their midst, killed four, wounded 20, they ran away. The Whiskey Rebellion under the Constitution, of course, we remember that Washington nominally led this force of 15,000 Pennsylvania state militias, and they basically just sort of faded away. Uh, The spectacular example of the Army of Northern Virginia, which uh, surrendered in 1865 after they had uh, decided to, as a state with other states, 
rebel against what they considered the tyranny of uh, threats to the institution of slavery. And finally, in our own lifetimes, we remember the Black Panthers, and when Nixon's little crew decided to do a raid on them, their weapons were of absolutely no use in keeping them alive. So right, I think Project the Moved is, and Fred Hampton, and yeah. Right. So the record is very clear. These uh, little citizens, militias, uh, self-described, are not effective against a large government force. Right. And, and well, and beyond that, this whole idea that the founders put the Second Amendment in place so that, you know, good patriotic citizens could rise up against a tyrannical American government literally did not exist as part of the American dialogue until the mid-1970s when a 17-year-old wrote an op-ed for The Rifleman, the, the magazine of the NRA, uh, arguing that that was the case. And he literally made this thing up out of whole cloth. And when Scalia tried to pull this argument out of his backside in the Heller decision, he had his clerks you know, running 16 ways to Sunday looking for words of the founders. And the closest they could find was from a, a pamphlet that was published in 1788 by, the anti, by an anti-federalist in Pennsylvania, somebody who was opposed to ratifying the Constitution, the anti, you know, the anti-federal and or an anti-constitutionalist, and and that was what, and he literally cites it in the Heller decision. You know that this is to protect hearth and home. You know, uh, and and implicitly, you know, also from a tyrannical government. And it's just, it's there is no evidence of that. And and you're absolutely right, Mike. In every in every case in the United States and all around the world. When people have tried to rise up against a government, uh, you know, generally it fails. Not always, but generally it fails. And, and when it doesn't fail, it's not because the people succeeded in taking the government down with weapons. It's because they succeeded in driving the government out with moral persuasion, essentially, as we saw and, in the era. And the of only spring. reason the American Revolution succeeded was that it had a major foreign superpower behind it, namely France. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Without France, we wouldn't have won the revolution. Thank you, Mike. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Diana in Preston, Idaho. Hey, Diana, what's up? Hi, Tom. I never thought about it, Tom, until you said it. But yes, we need to see the pictures. We absolutely need to see the pictures. Back in the 70s, I smoked. I heard it caused lung cancer. But you know what? I needed the pictures to wake me up. After um, a friend of mine gave me a pamphlet uh, with pictures of all the internal organs and, and show, it showed what smoking did to the internal organs. The lungs were black. It destroyed the ovaries. But it, what really affected me was the picture of the brain. The brain was covered with like a glue. And you know what? Mm-hmm. After seeing those pictures, I instantly, I'm not kidding you, Tom, instantly stopped smoking. Yeah. Yeah. And and the abortion movement, the anti-abortion movement will will tell you that their turning point was when they started carrying around photos of of bloody fetuses. And and of course, you know, anybody of a certain age remembers Napalm Girl. And that was that was the point at which public opinion turned so hard against the Vietnam War. Uh, you know, and Richard Nixon was up to his eyeballs in impeachment uh, by that time. And and so, uh, you know, it waited it waited yeah. a little over a year and a half until Jerry Ford became president. And then Jerry Ford just said, OK, we're going to pull the pro- plug. The, the helicopters are going to take off from the ceilings. That's it. Diana, thank you for the call. Uh, Leslie in Wichita, Kansas. Hey, Leslie, what's up? OK, just two things. And I'll make it quick. One as touched on, but it's really not looked into is that judge that rescinded Boulder City Council assault weapon. He why? Yeah. He should be looked in, and I bet he's profit, and I bet he's uh, probably got a political reason for that, and he should be held responsible for those ten people's death because he helped that. And the second well, one. Well, if I can, Leslie, it just just, and I'll let you get to your second one in just a second. But but there is a bigger picture here, okay. and that is that Republicans in the Georgia legislature some years ago passed a law saying that no town in Georgia can have a gun ban, and there are laws like that on the books in various states around the United States. I'm guessing this is an Alec law, one of these, you know, American Legislative Exchange Council, the group, uh, you know, that's funded by the billionaires and the big corporations where you get equal numbers of lobbyists and Republican legislators in the room twice a year and they come up with what they call model legislation. But that law, which that judge upheld, is the real toxic thing. I'm with you. You know, the judge should be held to account. But that law needs to be taken down. Now to your second point. I am, well, just to let you know, he wrote it and sold that the, the council itself cannot rescind his what he put out there. And right. the second count, do a documentary on this, a small documentary on the gun itself, give the information and what it was used for in war and what it's used mm-hmm. for today. And yeah. show those pictures there. It's fast, it's quick, and you have a choice. You will have a yeah, choice um, to watch it. There you go. Uh, that's a great way to do it, Leslie. Not not as part of the normal news, but as, hey, if you want to see this, just like HBO, I believe it is, uh, is doing with this yeah. whole uh, QAnon expose. I got it. That's a good one. Leslie, thank you. And thanks for listening to SiriusXM. Jim in Austin, Texas. Hey, Jim, what's up? Uh, yes, Tom. Uh, good to speak to you. I was in the middle of the shooting from the tower. 
uh, in really? 1966 at the University yeah. of Texas. The girl coming to meet me for lunch was shot. Another friend was shot and lost her baby. Oh the third God. friend next to her was shot and killed. I'm intimately oh. familiar with this so much that I was uh, involved in putting together the uh, memorial for the 50th anniversary. Uh, we could talk a lot, but the one thing I want to, two things I want to say. One, I do believe you're on the right track in uh, uh, the till uh, model, a very difficult track, but I think it needs to be done. The second is there appears to me, in my mind, to have been a change in people's understanding and conceptions of weapons and firearms. I was raised by grandparents and parents who were in the wars. Uh, of the 20th century and in the depression and we had a different understanding and respect for firearms uh than apparently is the case now if you look at the tower shooting that was a unheard of incident uh and uh, the uh, there were a number of years between that and the subsequent strings that we now are thinking about something has happened generationally that we need to look at uh for example, as a lawyer, I was uh, had the opportunity to get the files of the lawyers that represented the estate of the shooter, and within those files were the records of the firearms used. It was impossible to sell those firearms. Nobody wanted to touch them. Hmm. Now the firearms used in these incidents sell for thousands of dollars. This is because the mindset and the understanding, in my opinion, of uh, what weapons are all about has changed dramatically in subsequent generations. There's a lot more to talk about. I agree. There, but, uh, I, I, I absolutely agree with you, Jim. Yeah. And that change is the result of hun uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of NRA propaganda, in my humble opinion. I completely agree with you. I think you're right. I can remember the yeah. NRA when uh, it trained me in how to properly use and store uh, firearms and the NRA as it is now. Very different. Yeah. Oh, they're, com they're completely different. And, and I went through that in the Boy Scouts. My mother, her yeah. father was a hunter. She was, she was raised around guns. My dad, um, you know, volunteered for World War II. Uh, he, the war ended while he was in boot camp, but he still had to go through all that weapons training and everything. And when my parents bought me a BB gun when I was seven or eight years old, which is what parents did in the 1950s, um, they both sat me down and boy did we have a talk about what that gun could do and how it could take out one of my little brother's eyes and how much, you know, and what kind of a responsibility was being I given to exactly me. exactly the same thing happened and I was admonished never to carry a weapon down the street, put it in a box if I had to take it. That's correct. And never pointed at anybody even if you're sure it's unloaded. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're just not, we're not teaching people this stuff. We're not talking about it this way. It, they become toys and they become, you know, paraphernalia that men wear to pretend that they're more manly. It's bizarre. Jim, thank you for the call. Phil in Beverly Hills. Hey, Phil, what's up? Is this Phil Proctor? Hey. Yeah, it's your old pal, Phil Proctor, Fireside Theater. Hey, Phil. Massacres. Okay? And I want to give you a, a, an example of what happened to me. Uh, in 1977, I survived the Golden Dragon mm -hmm. Restaurant Massacre, right, in San Francisco which was a, a gangland war between the Joe Fong gang and the Wachin, between these gangs. And uh, at, at, at the end of the shooting, when the shooting had finally stopped and the, and the gangsters had left, a cameraman and a lighting man appeared in, in the door and scanned a scene of the massacre. 
Okay, they did this because the Sympathies Liberation Army had phoned in a funny bomb threat in the area, and they actually heard the shots. This local news team and ran in and captured this shot. Now, because of this the video that they made, which was on the television. The uh, gangsters, the Chinese gang uh, who had propagated the uh, incident, were all turned in by the Chinese community, something which they never would do before, okay? Because it so outraged people that so many innocent people were killed. Five killed, 11 wounded among Because them. they saw it. Yeah, that was, at that time, Tom, it was the largest massacre in a mass shooting in American history. Five people killed, 11 wounded. Let that sink in. Wow. I know. I write about this in my book, Amazing. Where's My Fortune Cookie, right? There. And Phil, my apologies, we have about a quarter second of latency here, so we keep stepping on each other, and you know, it's just one of the I problems know. that will be solved in a month or so when we get back in the studio. So is the bottom line of what you're saying, Phil, that because the consequence of this massacre was actually shown on television, they actually showed the dead bodies, that the community got so outraged that they did something that they had never done before. That's, that's, that, that's essentially what you're arguing? That is absolutely the reason why I called. You, prom you, you, you prompted these memories of this horrible incident. And I said, well, exactly what you're espousing uh, is what helped to solve that, that murder mystery. I mean, to capture the people who murdered innocent people. It works. Yeah. Yeah, okay. absolutely. And this is this is why I think. But, you know, it, it, the problem that we have, and, and it's not really a problem, is that there are all these rules with regard to the media about showing, you know, salacious content and and snuff content and, and all, you know, the, the stuff that floats around in the dark web. And and I think it's justified. I think those are reasonable concerns. And also, you don't want to trigger people who are survivors of violence. So we have to figure out a way to do this. That's this honorable and appropriate and and honest and 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 reasonable and, and we're gonna have that buy-in from big companies like twitter and youtube and and google and 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 you know major newspapers and television networks but it's time for america to see what these damn weapons do let me toss it here, back here. to you phil for the final 30 seconds okay so so listen tom i commend you for this particular movement and i totally agree that it has to be dealt with in a compassionate and controlled manner. But absolutely, we should publicize the results of these horrific incidents. And having survived one myself by, by lying under a table and waiting for the shooting to stop, you know, I know what it feels like. And I absolutely think that your solution should be promoted and should be embraced by uh, a lot of people. Thank you, Phil. Thank you very much. It's great to hear from you. The Firesign Theater is uh, my all-time favorite entertainment, and, there's, and they still live out there on the Internet. Check it out. Phil Proctor with the Firesign Theater from California. Phil, thank you. Our book today is Taking Bullets, Terrorism and Black Life in 21st Century America, Confronting White Nationalism, Supremacy, Privilege, Plutocracy, and Oligarchy, A Poet's Representation and Challenge by Haki R. Madhubudi.
This is from page 27, the chapter, Terror in the Midst of Prayer and Empire. He writes, In our perpetual state of national mourning, where our eyes are watered out and our hearts cease to heal at the rate the Creator meant them to, we hold hands in profound silence as we remember the Mother Emanuel Nine of Charleston, South Carolina, those nine mothers, fathers, sisters, and brothers. Even before burying, before black earth covered their caskets, too many ministers, media pundits, and plain white and black folks downgraded the terror that quickened their deaths of our finest in this land to the mental illness and race hatred, in quotes, of a single young white man. He may have acted alone, but he was not alone in his thinking, encouragement, gathering of arms, warped consciousness, confirmation, or ahistorical views, and yeses from the millions in the nation who proudly wear and display the Confederate flag above their hearts and fly it in all of its traitorous glory over a state capital and other institutions. Again, we find ourselves at war with history and culture, entertaining another call for a national conversation on race and a president weary of trying to make sense of and comfort the grief-stricken nation with words in the highest office of the land. This was written while Obama was president. These are the facts, not an opinion or the ignorant ranting of compromised preachers and television pundits. A 21-year-old white man, a citizen of South Carolina, walked into the sacred and spiritual home of the Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church of Charleston, the historic home of black liberation fighter Denmark Vesey, and fatally killed nine of its members, including the pastor, during Bible study. This was a pure act of domestic terrorism. A modern-day lynching by a young white nationalist who coolly and calmly assassinated nine black members of Mother Emanuel. Domestic violence and acts of terrorism are on the rise in the United States, as detailed by Charles Kurzman and Daniel Shanzer in their New York Times op-ed, The Other Threat, where they state that, quote, the main terrorist threat in the United States is not from violent Muslim extremists, but from right-wing extremists, end quote. In their national research, local police agencies across the country identified, quote, the militias, neo-Nazis, and sovereign citizens as the major threat the nation faces in regard to extremism, end quote. All of this is homegrown with international connections. Morris Dees and J. Richard Cohen of the Southern Poverty Law Center also writes in the New York Times, article Racists Without Borders, that, quote, Americans tend to view attacks like the mass murder in Charleston as isolated hate crimes, the work of a deranged racist or a group of zealots lashing out in anger unconnected to a broader movement. This view we can no longer afford to indulge. When, according to survivors, Mr. Roof told the victims at the prayer meeting that black people were, quote, taking over the country, he was expressing sentiments that unite white nationalists from the United States and Canada to Europe, Australia, and New Zealand. Unlike those of the civil rights era, whose main goal was to maintain Jim Crow in the American South. Today's white supremacists don't see borders. They see a white tribe under attack by people of color across the globe. The end of white rule in Rhodesia, now Zimbabwe, and South Africa, they believe, foreshadowed an apocalyptic future for all white people, a white genocide that must be stopped before it's too late. End of quote. The internationalization of terrorism is not a foreign theory in today's social media world. Dees and Cohen will be speaking at a conference in Budapest about this transnational white supremacism that is emerging as the world grows more connected technologically. The message of white genocide is spreading. Also, David J. Whitaker's terrorism, understanding the global threat, gives another view. 
Clearly, our rush to forgive this mass murderer within 96 hours of this supreme tragedy is misguided, anti-human, and does not allow for properly grieving the fallen. As perfectly scripted, displaying the permanent effectiveness of Christian acculturation on the Sunday, June 21, 2015 morning services of Mother Emanuel Church, the black Christians out-Christianed their white brothers and sisters. Before the morning sermon, the presiding elder, Reverend Norvell Goff Sr., found it necessary to thank the local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies for doing their job. He also stated, quote, A lot of folks expected us to do something strange and break out in a riot. Well, they just don't know us. We are people of faith, end quote. I find this statement inappropriate, insensitive, and ahistorical, implying, whether he meant it or not, that the recent uprising and rebellions in Ferguson, New York, Cleveland, and other parts of the nation were riots and did not include black people of faith and that somehow they were strange in their social, political, and economic activism. Informed people do not riot against injustice or white terrorism. They study, organize, and strategically struggle at all levels, in the streets, on the campus, in front of the White House, and in corporate boardrooms. Dylan Roof stated his intentions were to start a race war, and informed black leadership understands that we cannot pray this away or appeal to any law enforcement agency that all across the country, including Charleston, has been seriously compromised. To label black reaction to murder, terrorism, deep unemployment, substandard housing, etc., is as riot is to blame the victim. The book Taking Bullets. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 